copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn or turn it on if you're using an app to Mark chapter 14. That was for you, Emily. Mark chapter 14. Uh, we're looking at verses 53 through 65 this morning. How many of us hate to be falsely accused? Don't you just hate that? It really steams us. We hate to be told we're doing something that we're not doing or accused of something we're not doing or not done. Um, it's not fun. But yet in truth, a lot of times we're upset because we got caught more than because of what's actually going on. We're upset because of what uh, we were doing. But you know what? Jesus wasn't doing anything wrong and he was being really, really falsely accused. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Jesus marched into Jerusalem five days ago from this setting. Five days ago, he marched in triumphantly with a crowd behind him, declaring him, Hosanna, Hosanna, the son of David. And now he's arrested and standing trial. Um, not, a, not a legal trial, but standing trial. And, and now we're going to look at this, first, this one preliminary hearing that's just full of lies and full of errors in how their judicial system normally works. So as I read this passage, I want you to watch Jesus as well as hear Jesus in these verses. Mark chapter 14, verses 53 through 65. They led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes assembled. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the high priest's courtyard. He was sitting with the servants, warming himself by the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they could not find any. For many were giving false testimony against him, and the testimonies did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by human hands. Yet their testimony did not even agree on this. Then the high priest stood up before them all, and questioned Jesus. Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest questioned him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, why do we still need witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? They all condemned him as deserving death. Then some began to spit on him, to blindfold him and to beat him, saying, prophesy. The temple servants also took him and slapped him. Let's pray. <sighs> Jesus, I, I just don't know how you stood it. I don't know how you took it. But you did. You did with the sins of all humanity on your mind. The burden of that debt that we could never pay, but that you could. And you stood there and you took this humiliation for my sin. May you be glorified in this message. And may we see the truth that comes through this, even in these, these dark men's hearts. And then we see what they've done to you. May we see truth. And apply it to our own hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So there's a slide now up here. 
Jesus went through six different trials. I'm trying to help you understand because you got to read all four count, all four gospels to kind of understand how this happens and what's going on. There's six trials he goes to. First, he goes to a high priest's home, the high priest who wasn't the high priest at the time, but he had been. His name is Annas. And then he went to the high priest's palace, Caiaphas. And that's where we pick up today. Mark did not record the first one, but John did in his gospel. And then later they'll come back in the daylight, and I'll explain that in a minute. He, they come back in the daylight and have another trial. They bring Jesus back in front of the Sanhedrin at Caiaphas's house or palace. Um, and that's the third Jewish trial. Then they all agree to take him to Pilate. And that's where the first Pontius Pilate trial happens. And then Pontius Pilate decides, I'll send him to Herod since he's from Galilee. And he sends him to Herod. And Herod's glad that he did. He wanted to confront Jesus. And Jesus didn't say anything. And Herod sent him back. And the two became friends now after their uh, common enemy, Jesus, was taken care of. And then Pilate sentences and executes Jesus as the third trial. It was the sixth trial, really, but the third Roman trial. And so that's just to help you understand, as you read the Gospels, where all these pieces fit. Mark's recording the second Jewish trial right now. We'll get to the others, some of the others later in our, in our next few weeks, but he's recording this trial right now. And they're in the home, the palace, which is interesting for a high priest to have a palace. He's not royalty. But anyway, they're in the high priest's house, and they're having the whole Sanhedrin there, which is about 70 individuals of scribes and Pharisees. And so that's kind of the setting that goes on. And at, one of the, at this hearing, Jesus faces an onslaught of lies, an onslaught, just constantly, one lie after another. But he faces it in the end with one declaration of truth, our, our memory verse for this month. And the truth of Jesus Christ must always be proclaimed. That's the goal. That's always the goal. No matter what's going on in your life, the truth of Jesus Christ must be proclaimed so the world will know. I mean, Jesus told the, the, the disciples that back in Mark 13. Declare the gospel so the world will know who he is, and what he's done for their soul. So how can we make the truth of Jesus Christ known in the world? Well, in this story of this trial, Jesus gives us two actions we can take as part of our efforts to face a world full of lies. The first one is that we can bear with the injustice of the world because it's everywhere. Verses 53 through 59. Let me read those again so we got that context in our mind. They led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes assembled. Peter followed him at a distance right into the high priest's courtyard. He was sitting with the servants, warming himself by the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could not find any. For many were giving false testimony against him. And the testimonies did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, stating, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by hands. Yet their testimony did not agree on this. All right, so I want to show you this morning the many ways. There are nine ways that this trial was an error. This trial was wrong. This trial was completely illegal. And I'm going to point those out as we go through this. But there were many things, many acts of injustice. It's a, it's a miscarriage of justice. It's, they completely ignored their own rules about how to try an individual. But they were looking to convict Jesus. They weren't looking to decide whether he was guilty or not. This, so, Like I said, this is the second trial. This is the one at, at uh, Caiaphas' house. The it, some people will call it a preliminary hearing. That's 
vernacular we're used to in our judicial system. But really, it was a trial. When they ask for a verdict at the end, that pretty much indicates it's a trial. Um, Mark doesn't record the first one. But anyway, so the first thing they did wrong is that trials were not to be held in the dark. This is early, early, early Friday morning, a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., something like that. Trials were never to be held in the dark. They were to be held only in the daylight and concluded in the daylight. That's the first thing they're doing wrong. The second thing they're doing wrong is that trials should be held on, not held on days prior to Sabbaths or festivals. The Passover is the next day. And they're having a trial, a capital murder, a capital trial for, for the death sentence. So they broke that rule. The third thing, trials were not to be held at the high priest's residence. They weren't supposed to be held at his house. That's not a place for trials, but they did. They did. And see, even before the testimonies have started, they've already broken three rules. Three rules of their own judicial conducting. They misused their rank and their political power. The Sanhedrin in these days was not a religious group, really. They were more of a political group like the Roman Senate. They were more of a political group. It is historically documented that these Jewish leaders abused their powers and their positions. And then let's look at Peter for a second, because Mark likes to do this. He likes to give you a little foreshadow. He likes to show you something that's coming. And so Peter follows Jesus at a distance. Now remember what Peter did last week? He cut off the ear of a high priest servant, but he was aiming for his head. So he ran away like all the other 11 disciples. But now he's following Jesus at a distance. And so he swore he wouldn't fall away. He swore he would not deny Jesus, but he did. So he's trying to recoup. He's trying to recover from that. And he gets to the courtyard, and we know from John's account that John had to actually let Peter in, talk to the gatekeeper, which was a young lady, to let him in to the courtyard. So he's in the courtyard. He's warming himself by the fire, and he's sitting there because he thinks he's making it better. He thinks he's, he's uh, just being near was good enough. But we'll see next week how that turned out for him. Because he ran from the threat of possibly, he could have been prosecuted for, for striking the high priest's servant on the ear, which he really wasn't aiming for the ear. He could have been prosecuted for that. And so he, why would he go in here? Well, we're going to talk a lot more about that next week. But he was really there for show only. He was really there just to kind of like make Jesus feel like he hadn't fallen away from Jesus. But anyway, we'll see more about that next week. Mark always likes to give us a little foreshadow. Now back to the trial. The verdict and the sentence was already decided. That's the fourth thing they did wrong. The verdict and the sentence was already decided. You see where it says here, they, they were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death. In 14, chapter 14, verse 1, they've already decided what they're going to do with Jesus. Already decided. How many of you like, would like to walk into a courtroom with the verdict already decided with no evidence? I wouldn't. None of us would. That's the fourth thing they did wrong. So now they're looking for some sort of case to support their agenda. Death had been their goal since the very beginning. Three years earlier, in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, death had been their goal for Jesus. They were immediately enraged the minute he did something they didn't like, which was actually healing a man on the Sabbath. And they, they immediately, their hate, their rage, their evil hearts wanted nothing but death for Jesus. 
who really never did anything violent to them. And Mark gives an example of this false testimony here about the, the tearing down of the temple and the rebuilding it. Jesus never said it that way, and he never meant it the way they were trying to imply, but they couldn't even get those two liars to agree. It's not like they, they didn't even go outside and kind of practice their testimony or anything. They couldn't even get that one to agree. And the good thing is, is that who's ever cross-examining the witnesses, which I don't know who it was. Um, they probably don't have quite as formal a structure as we do with a defense attorney and a prosecuting attorney. But someone in the Sanhedrin, the way the rules went, would always ask questions of the witnesses. So someone's asking these guys questions and eventually proving the fact that their testimonies are bogus, garbage, can't use them. So at least the, the, Jesus had that going for him, which wasn't much because these people were probably wanting to prove that Jesus deserved death too. But it's just amazing to me how many lies are in this text. They, many, I mean, Mark uses that. Many people came forward lying about Jesus. What they were saying really doesn't matter because it was a lie. Many false witnesses were heard during this, but none of them were plausible. None of them agreed. None of them stuck as a charge. Remember, they arrested him without a charge, okay? He was betrayed, but they arrested him without a charge. They didn't, they've never levied a charge against Jesus at this point. The Jewish law required two witnesses to validate a, a, a charge that would result in death. Two witnesses at minimum. You can look that up in Deuteronomy chapter 19. They couldn't find two lies to agree. That's how I could tell sometimes my kids were doing something wrong. Their lies never agreed with what uh, the other person was saying. So the fifth thing was that they, there's a penalty for false witnessing. The, number, the fifth thing that was wrong with this trial is you get killed if you're trying to tell a false testimony to get someone killed. You get the same penalty that you're trying to impose on the, on the person you're witnessing against if you give a false witness. But they weren't doing that. All these liars could have been killed for their lies. But of course, because of the Romans, they couldn't kill anybody. They had to do something with the Roman government to get that happen. But they really weren't even looking at that. Okay? They should have at least declared a mistrial, an acquittal, or some reason. They had so many lies and nothing agreed. But they weren't even considering that. And that's the sixth thing that they did wrong. They should have just thrown the case out. But they didn't. Jesus was innocent. Let that sink in. Jesus was innocent. Now, we all know that because of us being in church and having heard it but just let that sink in jesus was innocent he was really innocent he had never sinned i mean i stand before a judge i've got sin but i'm not there for all of them thank god but their kangaroo court showed it but they continued to pursue the greatest miscarriage of justice in the history of the world they continue to pursue it and jesus had to bear that injustice can you imagine standing there being accused by these guys with lies? He had to endure their lies. He had to suffer their evil intentions, knowing that one day he could and would perhaps forgive them if they asked. See, grace was laying there too. It was just under the surface. Jesus knew that grace might save some of these men he had to bear their injustice endure their lives and suffer their evil it is it's the ultimate irony of the world really the ultimate irony genuine christianity promotes peace it promotes love it promotes forgiveness and righteousness 
Yet it is one of the most, it is the, I believe, most hated religion in the world. And it's really not a religion. It's a, it's a way of life. But what should we do with such a world that hates our faith, that hates our Savior, so desperately hates our, our Lord? Well, when I ask those kind of questions, I always have to go to Jesus. Okay, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? What would Jesus teach me? Well, hear what Jesus says to the crowd at the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely, on my account, rejoice and be glad. Anybody able to do that? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus says you're blessed if you're persecuted. You're blessed if you're ridiculed. You're blessed if you're lied about, especially for his name. And that's what we have to make sure we're getting, we're getting those persecutions because of Jesus, not because of something silly we're doing. And then he teaches his disciples that very night in the upper room, in John chapter 15, verse 20, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. They didn't quite get it at that point, but they heard it. And then Paul talks about it. He speaks of how it plays out. Now, this is a guy who used to persecute the church. Now he's getting persecuted by the same government. And he says, when, when we're reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we pray. We have become and are still the, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. That's the way the world looks at Christianity. And I, I can't explain it except that's just the hatred that the devil bears out in their hearts. The sinful nature is prone to resist that. Persecution, injustice, false accusations, ridicule, all of these actually are blessings and honor for us in serving Christ. I know, I know, it's hard to imagine. So what does this really mean for us to, to see what Jesus bore up for us? Well, I know it, it testifies to our salvation. And it testifies to the, the pain and the agony and the suffering he went through for our salvation. But let's look a little deeper. Injustice comes in many forms in our world today. I read an article this week. A principal was suspended for refusing to adopt transgender policies. A pregnancy center was vandalized for being pro-life. A cake baker in Colorado is prosecuted for not baking a cake. Hear this. This is the same guy who was in, in court years ago. He's been in court almost a decade over these kind of things. They wanted him to bake a cake for a transgender transition party, and he refused. So Colorado is trying to prosecute him again. The doctors were being told that they have to kill a patient if they want to die. Euthanasia. Doctors are being forced to do that in some places. And the list goes on. Iran, right now, people are fighting for their basic, just human rights to, to wear what they want to wear. And I saw this morning in India, there is a letter a circulating that says, that tells all the Hindus to go to Christians' homes on December 9th, I believe it is, knock on their door and try to convert them back to Hinduism, which will eventually erupt in persecution. There's injustice all around, and a lot of it focused on our values as Christians. And we see and we see these are wrong and we know they're wrong. And it gets our dander up and we get frustrated. But let's stop for a second and look at our own hearts for a second. 
because that's where we got to look first. Bearing injustice means that we make sure our hearts align with Christ. And we see what Jesus did right here, how he, he handled the injustice. We need to make sure our hearts align with Christ and then we don't respond sinfully because it's easy. Oh, it's easy. It's too easy. Now, we can use means at our disposal. You can use the courts as necessary, and we are. Alliance Defending Freedom helps protect us, but it's also helping this cake baker in, in many other cases. You can use the courts to change and challenge the injustice. You can change policies with voting and with your voice at, at council meetings, school board meetings, whatever it may be. You can do that. Those means are available to you, and, and as long as we're behaving as Christians in those meetings, in those ways, we can do that. But we never, never, never need to let hate or rage or anger drive us to be unkind, to be unloving, or to be insensitive to those that we're meeting with that don't know the right way. See, that defeats every purpose that Christ has for us. Jesus is not reviling back to them. He's not angrily yelling at them. No, I didn't. He's saying nothing. And Peter, like Peter, he was pretending to be loyal to Jesus by, by being in the courtyard during the trial. But he really was unjust in his hypocrisy, too. He really wasn't there for the right reason. He wasn't there for Jesus. He was there for how he felt. He was trying to justify his own running away. I always hated being falsely accused, but most of the time it was true. My, my parents eventually would prove that to me. But, but it angered me so much when I was a few times falsely accused. I would get so angry. But it really was not necessary. After Christ changed my heart, I had a different view. I had a different view on getting falsely accused about something because I had, I had read this in many other places about how Jesus had just stood there and took it. And, and he was innocent. He didn't react. So why was I so upset about my little accusation that, that didn't threaten my life? It just threatened my pride. Maybe my reputation if, in my own mind. We can speak the truth. We can speak the truth, but if, if they won't listen, that's fine. Just speak the truth. Sometimes you just have to stand there and take it. We should take the ridicule and let God use it for our own soul because I'm telling you, there's nothing more sanctifying than taking a false accusation and dealing with it like Christ would deal with it. It'll clean your heart out. And... Uh, make you a better believer. But in Christ, we need to see that God's glory is being portrayed and his, and his standing there and bearing with the injustice. It's God's glory. That's the purpose. That's the result of Jesus' unjust treatment was to bring glory to God. And he gains, he gains the same from our persecution too. Because of grace, we know that whatever someone says about us doesn't matter. Whatever someone does to us doesn't matter. Because our soul is eternally secure. Our persecutors have no real power. We've got to tell ourselves that. We've got to believe that in our hearts. Those of us who have eternal life need to know that we're safe and secure forever, forever. So bear it with love. Bear it with love. And the world will see Jesus. They may not believe in him, but they'll see him. And that's the point. So bearing with the injustice, that's one way we can get the word out. And Jesus, Jesus showed us how to handle injustice. Now he's going to teach us the message that we should try to 
push into these moments of persecution and injustice. Give them Jesus, regardless of what's going on. Verses 60 to 65, let me read this again. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus. Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Good luck with that, right? I, I don't think I could. Again, the high priest questioned him. Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, Jesus said. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, why do we still need witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? They all condemned him as deserving death. Then some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to beat him, saying, Prophesy! The temple servants also took him and slapped him. So now another injustice happens. Okay, we're up to number seven. Okay, I said there were nine. Number seven. The chief priest, Caiaphas, was not to interfere in the trial. He was not there except as a judge, as a, as a onlooker to make a decision if necessary. He was not there to participate in the trial. So by asking these two questions, he's, he's breaking, that's the seventh thing that's going wrong. But he stands up, which is, gets their attention, because when the high priest stands up, everybody stops talking and notices. Um, and he asks these two questions, and, he and it's no surprise that he broke these two rules. Why? Because Caiaphas had an agenda. The verdict was already decided, right? He's guilty of something. <laughs> we don't know what yet. He's guilty of something, so we're going to put him to death. We just need a case. Because they didn't, couldn't go to Pilate until they had a case. So he's asking, why won't you answer this? Well, why would Jesus answer this? They said nothing true. He doesn't have to defend himself against lies. But boy, we can't keep our mouths shut, can we? No, we've got to speak up. It would be pointless for Jesus to say anything. Caiaphas was a fool to think Jesus was going to say something. But he thought he could trick Jesus because he thought he was smarter than Jesus. But Jesus is not like others. And Christians shouldn't be either. He kept his mouth shut. Like the lamb led to the slaughter. He just stood there because he knew he was innocent. And he knew they had no real power over him. And then he asked this second question. And why would he ask this question? Where did he get the idea to ask this question? Well, it's not a hidden fact. Jesus had been talking about him being the son of God throughout his whole ministry. John records many places chapter 5 is one of them about him being God's son many times the demons when they would come out of somebody would scream oh son of God so it was obvious that that there had been some indications that Jesus at least was being declared the Messiah so maybe he thought he was the Messiah maybe that's what he was teaching secretly so he asked that question Jesus never denied his sonship and so now he asks this question, and Jesus could have kept silent. He could have kept his mouth shut here. Then it had to keep going on and on and on. But Jesus saw an opportunity. He was given an opportunity to speak up. He saw an opportunity to preach the message of God's kingdom once more. One more time. That's what he came for. He came to talk about God's kingdom, and he is an integral part of that. And in this response, Jesus declares his deity, he declares his right to judge, and he declares his future return for his church. It's a glorious de declaration. He went right to the, to the end because that's all that's going to matter to some of these guys. 
is that they're going to be judged by him one day. They're going to see him come on the clouds. One day, one day, these liars and these fake lovers of God will see Jesus again, and he'll be sitting in power. He won't be standing before them in chains. He'll be sitting in power, and he'll be reigning. He'll be reigning over the entire universe. And he will be their judge, their jury, and their executioner right there on that day. And they will not be able to deny his identity at all. They will not even have a question about it. It will be obvious. For one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. You need to get excited about this. You don't need my permission to get excited. You need to get excited about this. Jesus is who he said he was. And he declared it right there. When asked about his true identity, Jesus gave them the truth. He didn't hide. He didn't duck. And in the midst of their lies, in the midst of their scheming, Jesus pushed in truth. All the lies that were swirling, all the evil that was going around in that room, he pushed in a dose of truth. I am. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God, the Blessed One. And so then the next events that happen here after he says that, there's one, the high priest says never to tear his robes, and he did, never to tear his robes. The high priest shouldn't have done that. And the ninth thing is then they begin to abuse him. They begin to spit on him and kick him and hit him and punch him and slap him and, and mock him and put a blindfold on him. You know, in, in, the, in the case of a capital trial, if the person is sentenced to death, if the person is sentenced, found guilty and sentenced properly, which we don't have anything proper here, properly, it's there to wait an entire day before they execute the, the sentence. So they're not waiting for anything. They're beginning to abuse him. They're beginning to mistreat him. And, and their injustice continued. But in the middle of the world's hatred, in the middle of the world's hatred for the Son of God, Jesus Christ spoke truth. Praise God. We have a wonderful testimony there, and we have a wonderful lesson of what we're supposed to be doing. Get out there and push a little truth onto people. That Jesus is the Son of God. And trusting in Him will save you from your sins. Will grant you forgiveness. Trusting Christ is a blessing. There are many stories about persecuted Christians. Um, Fox's Book of Martyrs is a good book to read. It, it'll, it'll wake us up sometimes. Because in our society, we have it pretty easy as believers. In 1567... Spain's Duke of Alba was sent to the Netherlands and he was sent to prosecute Protestants because they were reading the Bible in their own language. It was a crime against the king of Spain. And so this print, this duke was sent there because he had to find these people and prosecute them. He was searching the home of the mayor of this one little town. Brug is the name of the town. He was searching the home of this mayor and found a Bible. And begin to question all the family members. And nobody would admit that it was their Bible. Nobody would admit. But a servant, her name is just Runkin. Runkin, that's, her only, that's all that she had to her name. And she told them, it's mine. They immediately put her under arrest. And she was sentenced to die by suffocation. 
Well, that's bad enough to hear, but then how they're going to suffocate her is even worse. They're going to brick her into a wall in the city. Yeah, terrible. And when they were putting in the last brick over her face, they gave her one more chance to recant. They gave her one more chance to repent of reading the Bible in her own language. And she said, Lord, forgive my murderers. They sealed her up in the wall and she died. She died in that wall for her Savior's truth, the word of Almighty God. She was willing to die for her Bible because she was saved by Jesus. It's a harsh reality how much the world hates Christians. It's harsh. But life eternal is the whole reason Jesus came. And she knew that. She knew that as they're walling her up inside this thing. They gave her many opportunities to, to recant. She didn't take any of them. But to trade our eternal life for, for things in this life is really foolish. It's really foolish and faithless. Hear what John, the apostle, writes in his letter to a church, 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 through 13. Listen to what he says about this eternal life. He says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. See, Jesus gave a testimony in the middle of this trial that we, if you believe it, you can have eternal life. If you believe in him, God was saving souls through Jesus Christ. This trial was part of it. He was facing death, but he continued to push the truth that eternal life is part of why he's here. So when Christ saves us, he calls us. You may not believe that as a Christian, but that's, that's what happens. A Emily found it out the hard way. <laughs> she says, anything but being a missionary. And God is kind of funny like that, but he had decided that he wanted to call her to be a missionary. He calls us to be selfless witnesses for him in any situation, in any environment. He calls us to that. We don't have to go to South Korea. We don't have to go to the Congo just across the street or across the back fence. Fortunately, most of us have never faced this kind of persecution, this kind of penalty for believing in Jesus Christ, fortunately. But sometimes I think it makes us weak. I think it makes us a little weak in our faith. Because our easy Christian life may have made some of us a little too quiet about our faith. And when we are challenged, sometimes we fail to speak up, speak that truth into their life. If we're persecuted and given a moment to testify, to speak, to share, we need not miss that opportunity. We need to take advantage of it. It may be the only time that person hears anything about Jesus, just like the, the Chinese man. And, and I've, I've met others in other places that had, they had never heard of Jesus, but they hear people talking about it over here in America and they want to know. We need to not miss those chances to give them Jesus. I know I've missed some. I know I've missed speaking Jesus into people's lives. I failed to point to Jesus as my hope and my Savior. But I want to do better. I neglected in my heart to see that the only life that matters is that one, not this one. The only life that matters is the eternal life, the one I'm living right now for Jesus and will live for eternity with him. He must be my sole purpose. He must be my sole purpose. And that's what Jim Elliott, who was martyred for his faith, in Central America, he says, he is no fool 
who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep this life for what he cannot lose the next life. Let us live every day looking for ways to speak Jesus into people's lives. That's what, that's what we're supposed to be doing. You're called to do that as a believer in Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. He's our King. Put it in their lives. Put it in front of them. Let them decide. Remember, you're, you're just in marketing, not manufacturing. You don't get to close the deal. You don't have to close the deal. Just tell them about Jesus. So Jesus faces this illegal trial. He, I mean, it's illegal. I gave you nine ways it's illegal, and we haven't even got done with all the trials yet. He faced it with endurance and truth. And he put up with their lies. He put up with their lies and their evil intents and, their, and the hearts of these people were hardened against him. But he managed to push a little truth out so they would hear and it was recorded. And they heard it because they now charged him with blasphemy. And I can't help but think that some of these men who were standing there that night in that dark illegal trial they heard what he was saying. Maybe some of the bystanders outside in the courtyard heard what he said. They were watching Jesus berated after lie after lie after lie, that he was constantly, that he was tried, that he was sentenced to death. They saw it all happen. But they kept hearing those words in the back of their mind. I am the Son of God. And I think some of them, I'm pretty sure some of them, after his resurrection and his ascension, were some of the priests that came to Christ. You can look that up in, in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Some priests, many priests, Luke records, came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe some of them were at this trial, listening to what Jesus said. Words of truth never expire. And God's word never goes out and doesn't come back without its purposes accomplished. So let's pray this morning as we take a time of pastoral prayer that, that we will be willing to speak up, that we'll be willing to proclaim our Savior to those we work with, to those we go to school with, to those we're around, our friends, our neighbors, to tell them that Jesus is Lord. He is the Son of God. Let's pray that our hearts will give them Jesus. We have a time of pastoral prayer. If you'd like to come up front and pray during this time, we'll have a time of silent prayer, and then I'll close us out. But make a way for truth in people's lives. Let's pray that we can do that.